Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London Is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Nick, Dan, and myself cover all the match reviews from the latest Chelsea matches. We cover the team news and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you already for being an awesome listener. And you know what? Let's jump right in. Are back with our second episode of this week, Chelsea fans. That's right. If you missed part one, definitely go back and listen to that. Uh, all about the Southampton match review. But as we progress into part two of this week, we do have Nick and Mike back again. Obviously, no dance. So, gentlemen, thank you. And pulling a double shift with us tonight is Jeff Borzello with ESPN College Basketball. Thanks for hanging out again, man. The first part two that I've appeared on, so it's it's like it's like my debut. You, you never forget your first part two. So anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know how to respond to that. Let us let it hang out there. No, we, we only kid, obviously. Um, but yeah, no, so thanks for coming out with us. Obviously, this part is all about answering your, you, the fans, you, friends of the podcast, other Chelsea fans, your questions about anything related to Chelsea and occasionally even other things, as we'll find out we've been asked about tonight. Uh, but before we get into it right away, Nick... Um, just a friendly and warm, welcoming invitation that if you would like to spend your New Year's Eve with us in London, you can do that. It's an opportunity. It's it's a real chance. 
Absolutely. We, we would encourage you to go to our YouTube channel. Uh, we have a video up that can kind of give you a, a cue into our experience uh, that we had in April. Uh, and all of our trips have been wonderful. Uh, we uh, we had the assistance of Thomas Lundberg to, to help uh, do a video for us when we went in April to kind of give you the uh, the insider's view. So it showed uh, some of our time at the match, the pre-match, uh, our live pod with, with Stanford Chidge and the, and the Chelsea fan cast. So um, everything that's included in this in this package would be your hotel for you know the time that you're in London, match tickets which are really hard to come by. So uh, you know unless you have a hookup, uh, your guaranteed match tickets. We'll have a, a live podcast of some sort. We'll have some you know events that we'll do, especially around New Year's Eve, which I'm sure will be a riot in London. It's going to be great. So look, it's it's a great trip. There's a payment plan available if the uh, if the cost is a little bit too much and we always want to be respectful of your wallet. So um, I know that there are a lot of people who have some good vibes around the club. We hope to, uh, to max this trip out about 20, 25 people to, to keep it manageable. So uh, if you're interested at all, um, just please let us know and we can, uh, can help you figure it out. Absolutely. We've been getting great feedback, great questions, and, and even getting, you know, uh, a great amount of signups. So again, we'll try to keep it at 2025 to keep it manageable. So uh, don't hesitate. Sign up or ask us questions so we can get you signed up as soon as we can. But let's go ahead and jump into these the the first topic of discussion. It's not even social media questions. I'm I actually have had for the first time ever to bump our listeners to the second most important thing we do in this podcast, Mike. When when your captain leader legend puts out a three graphic post on Instagram, probably, you know, for him, as he's about ready to go to bed this evening, that he has called an end to his playing career. No more John Terry lacing up the classic umbros, the knee-high socks, leading the line the way he does. It's it's done. It's over. Yeah, I, I really, <clears throat> I, I'm having a hard time processing it. And, it, you know, I, I haven't posted anything on Instagram because, honestly, I'm I'm a little bit at a loss of words. I, you know, I, it's funny. Like, I think it's hitting me harder than, you know, back in 16, 17. And, you know, for him to finally calling it a career, it just kind of breaks my heart. He was, um, somebody that I have always followed since I've, you know, been a Chelsea fan about 20 years now. And to see him retiring, it's just, it's the end, (laughs) you know what I mean? And, and yeah, what 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 can you say about John Terry that hasn't already been said? And you know how do you how do you say it's over? Nick, where where are you at with this? I I think I, I, this isn't a surprise. You know, I think when he turned down Spartak Moscow, that um, you know he was probably considering his options. And you know, I, I think for. For a lot of times, at least in American sports, we try and retire players before they're ready to retire. Um, you know, if they, if they aren't as good as they once were, they you know are making mistakes or whatever. I mean, shit, people have tried to retire Gary Cahill and he's thirty three. So, um, <laughs> uh, but you know, I think for John, you know, this was there's probably some influence. You know, seeing Frank Lampard do what he's doing at Derby County and. Um, you know, being back at the club for this time, just, you know, it probably felt right. It probably felt like this was, you know, if, if the spark isn't there to play and train every day that, you know, it's probably time to, to call it quits. And, you know, the, the thing about, you know, JT that I think everyone admires is that he, he always gave it his all. So if, 
if there was going to be a time in his career where he wasn't giving it his all, then you know you'd rather you know you'd rather just not. And I, I'm I'm proud of him for for calling it quits and, and advancing into his you know the next steps in his career, which are clearly going to be some sort of management um, and you know or working with youth talent or you know something like that. I think that he has an incredibly bright future. He's clearly um, just you know has a wealth of knowledge about the game and how he would you know, potentially want to manage a team. So, you know, it, I think while Frank Lampard is the the best ever player at the club, uh, even even more than Didier Drogba, I think John Terry will go down as, you know, maybe you know, the fans' favorite um, player. Um, you, you know, even though I, I personally think that Frank, you know, did a lot, you know, uh, not a lot more, but did a lot to – kind of secure his place with the amount of goals and important goals he scored, Jeff. Uh, John Terry is is clearly the fan's favorite. He's one of us. You know, he came through the academy. And the the thing that he has on his on his mark is he's really the last youth player to do that, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's just there's there's so many. There's like I was trying to think of, you know, the, the, the most memorable moment of his or anything like that, and there's just so many. And it's he just had such a, a long Chelsea career and, and it's, you know, like when, when Lampard said he wouldn't play for another English club and then he played for city and, and scored. And like, I just, I could never picture Terry doing that. Nothing against Lampard. I just, it just, it was too, like, it, it was hard to, to, to think of Terry, you know, actually putting on a different, uh, you know, premier league shirt and coming to Stanford bridge from a different team. And, you know, it just it wouldn't have felt right if uh, if he had done that before he retired. So, from a selfish perspective, I'm I, I think he retired at the at the right time. Um, and just like thinking back to me when when he when I guess Chelsea won the the Premier League in 2015, and he played every minute of every game after. You know, everyone's I guess not everyone wrote him off, but Rafa Benitez wrote him off, and a lot of people did. Um, to me, that was sort of quintessential John Terry is sort of just, you know, going against what everyone thinks and, you know, just, just coming back from, from what seemed to be the, the downside of his career and becoming again, sort of the rock solid heart of Chelsea. And, you know, I just don't know if we're going to have another leader like that for, for a long time. Oh, that is such a great, you know, memory to pull back on when it comes to JT and that, that never-say-die attitude. I mean, he had significant injuries the year before, so it wasn't like he was just out of form. I mean, physically just wasn't in a good place. Yeah, Yeah. and you just think that it's also kind of the perfect storm. I don't think that would have ever happened with anyone other than Jose Mourinho coming back to the club too. So I don't know. We are so blessed with the the most amazing amount of of memories with John. Uh, He is... Uh, lauded as one of the best ever to play the game because of how smart he was and how determined he was to to you know always put his face in front of a boot or you know put on the gloves and play goalkeeper there was nothing that he wouldn't do for uh for Chelsea in England and I you know the fact that we get to call him one of our own is is truly truly special so um, I'm, I'm much more excited and kind of happy for him and, uh, am looking forward to what he's going to do next. And, and speaking of that, it's, uh, very obvious he's been working on his badges. Uh, he's been back at Chelsea, back at Cobham, working with Joe Edwards in the U23s and, and some of the other youth teams. He's been with the U18s with Jody Morris last season, even a little bit. It's just, uh, 
Yeah, there, there's no way that his uh, his identification badge is ever getting deactivated at, at, at Cobham. He will always be welcome in, in any capacity there. All right, well, let's let's let that sit a little bit, uh, but we are going to move on to our social media questions. Look for more on John Terry from us later in the week. Uh, but for now, we had an interesting question. So kicking off with Patreon, obviously, if you want to get your question at the top or guarantee that it's answered, uh, join us on Patreon. That is the way to get priority in this part. Uh, Mark on Patreon saying, hey, guys, I'm so happy for Barkley and Murata. Is it time to be worried about Aspie? I'm just happy with the three points. Anyways, I'm going to get back to work on getting a brewery to show Chelsea games for the Chelsea and America peeps in Asheville. Nice. Time for a tasty Pilsner. boy. Help him out. Yeah. If you're, if you're in Asheville, let's make it happen. So I actually followed up with Mark too. And I said, Hey man, I was like, what about Aspie? Because if we just say, are, are you worried about Aspie? Nick is just going to yell no at me, but then that'll be the end. No, of it. so no, I, I, I went to get some context for you, Nick. He thinks that, um, while he's not worried, he just feels like Aspie is getting targeted on the right flank. Mark does clarify that Aspie is his favorite Chelsea player, so he didn't even want to ask, but he feels like Aspie is being attacked more than Alonso, um, hence maybe why he could be considered as struggling. What What do you think if Aspie is, is struggling, or should we be worried about him? I, I don't I don't think he's being targeted more than Alonso. I mean, certainly Liverpool ran away from him last week, so... Uh, that that's that's not a huge point of concern. I think that he he did struggle at times with Lamina and Bertrand overlapping today, so maybe there was something in that uh, in in the Southampton team setup that confused him. He, I, I don't certainly don't think he had his best game in a Chelsea shirt today, but uh, in terms of his ability to lead and his ability to uh, track back, and you know, hopefully. You know, find some more balance, you know, between the defensive and offensive responsibilities of his position. Uh, that he could still very well be in the Premier League team at this of the season at the end of the year. I think he's absolutely fantastic and a guy who, you know, to me just exemplifies kind of that John Terry spirit of you know constantly being there, constantly showing up, um, and, and really you know leading by example. And you know, he he may not be the most the most vocal guy in the team. Uh, I think he's growing into that role a little bit um, as, as captain. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not worried about him. I think that maybe, you know, with all of all the matches he's played over the last, you know, six to eight months that, um, he, he, you know, legs might be a little tired, but that's about it. Yeah, definitely would agree that Liverpool avoided him at all costs. Um, I think that it, you know, it's a little bit of that right back discussion, but we also said Tottenham members. He was being targeted as the right center back in the back three. Uh, this, you know, it, it just happens occasionally. Sometimes teams just um, push it down the left side and then try to switch it up and catch him off guard. That kind of goes back to the whole conversation of, um, you know, not having much to do and all of a sudden you're involved a lot. Like it can it can catch you off guard a little bit. Uh, the next one we have, Jeff, is from Daniel asking, Barkley looks like he could be the potential goal-scoring threat from the midfield that the club needs, but he's not the complete player that Kovacic is. Do you think Barkley might start to see more starts because he's attack-minded? It's a good problem for Sarri to have. So I know we talked about the Barkley-Kovacic thing, and you weighed in and said, Kovacic all day, Barkley's worthless, 
it's on record. That, that's, that's the exact quote. That, I that's hundred percent what was said. <laughs> no, but honestly, what about the goals? I think the goals aspect is unique because I think that is something that we're all aware that really is missing from that midfield of Kovacic, Jorginho, and Conte. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Barkley, and and you know, we saw when he was at Everton, he he clearly is not afraid to shoot from 20, 25 yards out. And, you know, we, we've seen Kovacic have the ball there. He doesn't take a shot. It's Jorginho had the ball. I mean, Southampton was letting him have the ball 25, 30 yards from goal all day, and he wasn't taking a shot. Conte, obviously, not going to shoot from there. So, you know, we basically have that that whole area right outside the box where teams, if they know we're not going to shoot it, they could just play off and, and force you to force Chelsea to, to go through them, go over the top, go around them. And that's what we talk about when Chelsea is having all this trouble scoring against teams that put 10, 11 guys behind the ball. Barkley is somebody that that he's not afraid to shoot from there. And, and he'll get it on target, and it might go into the you know second deck the first time he shoots it, but he's not afraid. And at least they have to come out and, and honor that and, and, I guess, acknowledge that he could shoot it there. So to me, I think there are games where he's going to be um, – you know, better to have out there than Conte or Kovacic. And it's just the, the fact that, he, that he's not afraid to, to take shots. And we saw it today. He got a couple of touches where, you know, he looked up and looked at, at the net and, and looked like he was going to take a shot on goal. So I think it's like, like Daniel said, it's, it's a good problem for Sarri to have. Um, and, you know, depending on the opponent, I think Barkley and Kovacic could be uh, rotate or play together or anything like that. But I do think Barkley brings a little bit something different, that eye for goal that, that very few of our, our other midfielders have. Yeah, no, there's there's no doubt about it. I mean, Mike, the, you know, obviously we're just talking about Lampard a little bit and the John Terry piece, and you just, your mind is running through all the goals that that man had. I mean, holy smokes. It's, it's, it's not as balanced from the midfield perspective and when Pedro's not in, William doesn't give you the goals. He'll create the opportunities, doesn't give you the goals. To me, it's it's almost like from a squad balance point, it's good to have William and Barkley together because Barkley has the potential to kind of fill that gap that William can't for Pedro. Yeah, and I also kind of look at it from, you know, if we're, if we're dealing with teams that are trying to play eight or nine behind the ball, how, how do you break that down? And I think you do that with some chaos. And that's, you know, somewhat in the hockey method of put the puck, uh, uh, you know, put the ball on frame and let let there be some deflections let there somebody be there to you know poach and jump on a rebound and i think with barkley uh you know not being afraid to take shots the the defense is going to have to respect that they're going to have to step out to to you know to shut down space which opens up you know the interior for an Eden Hazard or something else or you know you're you you have Giroud or Murata there to clean up something so i think it, there's too much um, we we just pass the ball around on the perimeter of the 18 yard line too much, too often, and, and it's just it doesn't do anything. So I think he definitely makes a much more, um, you know, a vertical attack up, you know, up and down as opposed to just passing side to side. Yeah, chaos is a ladder, Mike. Um, and <laughs> oh, God. I, thank you, Game of Thrones. What's up? Um, so I actually I agree with you, and not just against teams who have nine in the box. I think this is just a, a thing that I'd like to see more. Is you know what, man? Let it rip. You know, let it rip from wherever you're at. If you have a clear shot on goal, I don't think Maurizio Sarri is going to make you pass it into the back of the net. I think he wants to score goals and he wants the the team to be comfortably up so that you know the the playing style is is kind of intact and 
uh, I want to see more rips. I want to see deflections that you know Giroud's just able to nod in or or Hazard's able to clean up. You know, I think it's I think it's really important that you know not every goal we have to or that we'll score this year is is a beautiful you know piece of art. You know, I'd rather score a hundred goals and have seventy of them be crap um, than than to you know score seventy goals and just have them all be beautiful. So uh, I, I think that that point's really well taken, Mike and. You know, if, if Barkley's a guy who's going to let him rip, then, you know, let's see what happens. Barkley's also, he's also like significantly bigger than Kovacic. I mean, he's got to have like three inches and 30 pounds on him. And, you know, it, and I think that just is a nice little balance to, you know, Conte and Giorgino who are a little, little slender. Um, you know, he's, and we saw today, he had that, or I guess the other day, we saw the tackle and then he laid it off to, to Hazard, but it was the tackle um, off the pressing and, and, it's just that sort of physicality. I think that's another dimension that he brings. All right. Well, let's go ahead and keep it moving. The next one we have is from Action Patreon saying, great performance and tied top of the table. It showed that we are learning how to cope with some of the tactics that tripped us up in previous games. Murata scoring twice in as many games give me gives me hope of a striker contributing to goals. We definitely need to work on taking corners. <laughs> Jeff called it. Uh, either a new kicker or trying something new because we could have had a hundred corners and not scored once from them. Uh, I don't know, Jeff. We talked about this a little bit, but did you want to elaborate? Because I heard the same thing. I think it was he's from Nas. Thirty-three. He's, he's he was like he was called Mister Thirty-three at some point because he yeah. had thirty-three corner kick, uh, different corner kick plays, and it seems like William o, he holds two fingers up or three fingers up, and that's about it. And then, like I said, it's like the same the same things that never work and. You know, whether it's, you know, a short corner, like, I guess I don't think that Chelsea tried a short corner against Southampton, maybe one, but, you know, I don't know. And, and like, and to me, you know, given that, and we've talked about how these sort of these, these sides are countering, um, counterattacking against Chelsea and doing it. And that's when they look the most threatening, you know, to me, Chelsea's at their most unbalanced when they're playing off a corner kick. And if we're just going to give the ball away there and sort of launch a counterattack for the opponent, you know, we might try to go back to the short corners. And I know people complained about that under Conte, but, you know, at some level, if if what we're doing is not working, I think he's got to try something different. Now, I don't know all 33 corner kick plays that he's had in the past, but um, I think he's got to little, dig a little deeper and, and maybe find some, something that works. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, I would love to see somebody other than William get a shot at this maybe a Jorginho or someone else but it's just not working that or I I love the um I love how our strikers at times are standing behind the defender on corners and it's like just cut in front of the man you know sometimes we're there but we're just behind the defender so we theoretically Chelsea should have the size to you know get ahead on on one of these I mean obviously Alonso Rudiger uh Louise Barkley um, either Giroud or, or Marata, like they have the size and the and the aerial ability to, to to you know get one of these in the air, but they just they never seem to have the chance. I will say the one encouraging thing for me about this is it's a set piece, and if there's anything that you can kind of work on in practice, you know, if the corners aren't hitting it yet, I, I think that's a pretty easy course correction to make. So I, I think we'll fill it out. I think uh, William might have put a nail in his coffin of taking corners for the next few matches today. Yeah, we don't have a lot of what I would say great free kick takers. I would I would say uh, you know William is the man right now. Susk isn't really getting on. I feel like if you had someone with his abilities that are you know obviously significantly better, 
uh, he would be able to potentially do maybe a little bit more. So, you know, uh, Jeff, it could be a matter of, well, we don't have any real great free kick takers as well for kind of the situation we're in. Because they're the same thing. He even has like throw-in plays and, and all these different things. But you're right. We're not really seeing it too much. The best one that we have had is definitely a long ball to the back post, headed it, or in this case, bicycle kicked back across the box, uh, you know, for someone running in on it. But it's definitely just, I mean, look, it's just not been where we kind of were hoping or where we've we've been. So again, actually, good call. Hopefully this is something that can be changed. Because we've got some big boys in there. Giroux, David Luiz, and Rudiger, and even Alonzo. Uh, definitely some big, some big bodies to aim at. Last one from Patreon that comes from Brett says, Sorry has really unleashed the value of Eden Hazard. How much more success would Hazard have if he played under Sorry since he came to Chelsea? Don't you love hypotheticals, Nick? Uh yes. You know, if it's if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, uh, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. Uh, so <laughs> I uh yeah, look, I, I think he's clearly enjoying the style and you know, I think for at least for the past five years, he, he has been a focal point of the team. You know, I think the differences with him now is he really feels a leadership burden, um, whether he's a captain or not. I, th- I do think that most people are around the club are looking to him to help set the tone. Um, and he, he clearly, over the last two years specifically, I think has, has really done a decent job of taking that uh, responsibility on. And, you know, sure, the, the style matters, I mean, but it's not as if he wasn't being passed the ball before this, right? Like, he he certainly has been a, uh, a focal point of the attack, but I think the the flow in the final third and the, and the players he has around uh, now are, are making it a little bit easier for him. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's going to be interesting to see how far this goes now, uh, because, you know, if he... If he gets anywhere near 25, 30 goals, you know, he, he will be kind of in Ballon d'Or contention. And so then it's a whole different scenario, Jeff. Well, I think that's the key. And, and you know, we've seen him do this. Well, maybe not to this extent, not to this level um, of, of goal scoring out. But, but we've seen him put together two, three months of just world-class play. And then he doesn't disappear, but he sort of, he fades away a little bit. And he'll he'll sort of float in and out and go a few games without scoring and and he'll, he'll be less involved in, in the game. And so we've sort of seen this before. And then the key for me is, is whether he's going to continue this throughout the winter. Um, and, and if obviously if he keeps playing like this, he's, he's going to be the best player in the Premier League. And he, and he is already, but it'll be, it'll be no competition. And, you know, in the past, we, there's always been a debate just because he doesn't put together eight straight months of, of just world-class play. And I, so to me, that's the key is that, you know, we've seen him come close to this before. He just hasn't done it sustained over, you know, five, six months. So whether he continues it for the next, you know, throughout the winter and into the spring, to me, that's going to be the key. Yeah, if if I could jump in, I, I kind of want to say I, I wholeheartedly disagree with you, Nick. I, I love you, man, but I don't think this has anything to do with responsibility. I think this has to do with 100% of, of lack of responsibility. He's getting on the pitch, and he has a manager who says – don't track back. Don't do what you know. Don't do what Jose or Conte told you to do. Go ball. Go have fun. Take this round thing and kick it. You know, in the net, and and you do you. And I think some of that lack of pressure or the ability to say you just do you will will we'll form you know tactics around that to allow you to excel at your best. 
I think that's what we're seeing that, you know, bring the best out of him as a, a player. And I think a little bit with having Kovacic there and, you know, kind of being a whipping boy at times, absorbing a bunch of those fouls. I think Jeff, that to me, I think that's how we'll see him get through the winter months to, you know, cut down on some of those, you know, yeah, I, mean, fouls. I, I think it, and I think it helps that, you know, Chelsea have 70% of possession every game. So, you know, when it, when it was 45, 50%, you know, even if he was not told to to track back, which he was, but even if he wasn't, he would be playing without the ball. He'd have to be on the on the back foot for half the game. And now, you know, Chelsea have have the ball and they're on the front foot from from second one. And you know, they're pretty much in control for 75, 80 minutes. And again, that's that plays to his strengths. He doesn't have to to be an outlet or or anything like that. He could just you know sort of float around, get the ball here you know, Kovacic can step up or Barkley can step up and he can just float and, and just be wherever he wants without any fear of, of Chelsea being without the ball for five, six minutes at a time. Yeah, almost takes uh, pressure off of him and knowing that, you know, if he doesn't make it in this magical run that he'll have, you know, three, four, five, six more chances. I So can I, can I quickly say, like, I, I do think the responsibility matters. I think him being a captain for Belgium clearly you know he upped his game and whether that's a coincidence or not i'm not sure but you know to me there there are some people who you know feel that pressure and shy away from it and i think he's really developed into you know a focal point not only on the pitch in terms of talent but you know in in the way that he's you know at least helping to lead the team or be part of the leadership group of the team so that that's the reason i say that and you know i i don't think he I don't think the difference between him in 2014 and him now is, you know, just a complete lack of responsibility. I think that he's taken on more along the way. Maybe more ownership than leadership. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not in the locker room, so I, I can't I can't say that conclusively. But it it does appear that you know, even in small things like going up to the referee, you know, in a in a group scenario and being like, "Hey, man, what the fuck?" Like. We're getting we're getting fouled all over the place. Can can you figure it out? Instead of you know four years ago, he would just kind of quietly you know lace up his boots and get back to business. I think he's he is really taking on a, a role, a leadership role. All right. Well, that was good. I mean, I'm interested to hear what our listeners think. It it's a tough topic. I mean, a, a lot of people like the question: How much do you want to put on Edinzard's plate? Sorry's already put 40 goals. He already is is you know taking the leadership on on the field from like a um, you know, it's his responsibility to make sure Chelsea wins. Do does he even need the extra responsibility? I don't know. It's it's a really interesting thought and discussion. So if you want to jump in again, social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, hit us up. Feel free to always email us as well, and we will get back to you on that. Uh, transitioning to Twitter questions now uh, at Thirty Eight Blues, our man Corey saying, "What about an, an obtainable striker in January?" Apparently, he thinks this is a, a problem position for us. I don't know why. Hmm. He says, "Would Joseph Martinez at Atlanta United be an option?" Arsenal just got a bargain transfer in January for Almiron, both dominating players in the MLS. Uh, Nick, I think. If you went head-to-head and rock, paper, scissors against Mike, you might come out on top for uh, better MLS knowledge. But I'm going to let you guys battle this one out as well. What do you think? Obviously, Atlanta United is just dominating the MLS in, in, in their approach and their strategy and recruitment, whatever. Almiron going to Arsenal, do you think it's just as easy for Martinez to come to Chelsea? I mean, I think he might be semi-affordable. Um 
And he's clear. I mean, and, and this is with with all plaudits to the MLS. I think he is an incredible player on that level. I'm not sure that he's Chelsea level um, or, or the needs that we would have there. If he would even fit the system, I, I don't watch a ton of Atlanta United. I just know that he's pretty clinical in front of goal. So if that's what we're looking for, then then potentially, Mike, I mean, I'm not sure how you feel about uh, Joseph Martinez. Well, um, I think the MLS is bullshit. Um <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> but, dude. It's, Jeez. Look, Take it's it's it my hot it's my hot takes and 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 you know speaking of the MLS, I got to give a lot of credit to JT for uh, I think finishing out his career at Villa and you know not not coming to the US cuz he he could have played here for another 3 to 4 years. Um and I just I don't believe I have zero faith in the MLS. It destroyed our national soccer team and it has it's not doing anything and i don't think they have a, a a chance of competing in europe so i want to see us you know the this the i'm sorry the answer to our problem is a world-class striker and we're probably not going to get that in january and i would love to see somebody who's proven in england because i think too often we try and pick up somebody you know give them time to adjust we need to get somebody who can play in the league that we're in and I think January is going to be really, really tough. So, you know, the best answer is hoping that Murata continues to do what he's doing and, and you know, find his way in the system uh, and not not buy some MLS player and try and make it work in, in England. I'm not telling you MLS is the greatest league in the world, but it's certainly improved and it's been a backbone of our national team for a long time. For better or for worse, um, it's well, produced. For mis- it's perfect for this World Cup this past summer, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm also a proponent of just saying, look, it it, it is what it is. Um, I don't want to compare it to European competitions because they're roughly a hundred years behind. So, yep. and, yeah, exactly. and you know, I yeah, I, to me, Corey, I I just I have the same concern of that being that big of a jump. I think you can be super successful in MLS. I mean. It's a little bit different to think of Sean Wright Phillips. It set records, like lit the league on fire, and was a lower level, lower division, you know, striker over in England. I think it's just it's different as well. Um, the situations, uh, but I will say that if there's any player who can make Chelsea better and stronger in January, and they uh, are the least bit affordable, I mean, why not pursue any av- avenues that you can? But. Um, All right. Well, here we go to off-topic questions, Jeff. That's right. We get more than just soccer and football questions. Giuseppe on Twitter saying off-topic, but thoughts on the Khabib versus Connor and the brawl afterwards? I mean, wait, which was more exciting, the fight or the fight? It was was the latter fight. I mean, the actual fight was like cuddling and then like they were like falling asleep on each other and it was fun. (laughs) But like, I mean, Khabib destroyed him during the fight and then... I mean, to me, it, it kind of sucks for him because n- nobody's talking about that. Uh, everyone's just talking about how he jumped out of the out of the cage and had his, had his boys jump in the cage, and it was a whole thing. So, I mean, so to me, it's it's unfortunate for Khabib, but I, I think at the end of the day, all this does is guarantee a rematch. Now, can can those two be in the same room again? I have no idea. Um, it seems like they like harbor legitimate animosity for each other. Um, unlike, you know, I know yeah. we've seen the Connor and versus, you know, Nick Diaz and all these other fights where it's sort of, you know, they play it up, but I think these two legitimately dislike each other. Um, so, you know, whether, 
I mean, Connor will probably want to have a rematch just because, you know, he'll, he'll do whatever. But, um, you know, I, I do think that Khabib, like, legitimately would, did not want to, like, let go of his chokehold yesterday. Like, I, I think he legitimately hates Conor McGregor. He definitely yeah, hesitated. Like, <laughs> McGregor yeah. was tapping. He's like, ah. I mean, like, the ref pulled him off of McGregor. But, I mean, Nick, uh, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on this. But, honestly, it's as if they put a caged animal in a cage without a top. And he got out and just started fighting anyone and everyone in front of him weird i have a i have a lot of thoughts on this and i'm not a huge ufc fan so for those listening who think that i'm on on this high horse i'm really not uh i think just a general sports question uh or or sports scenario would be that we get really 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 mad in the states or or in the uk to be honest when fans run on the pitch right uh at you know it endangers player safety and you're just not sure what you know a person's intent is when they you know when a fan will run on the pitch it is a whole different fucking scenario when a trained uh assassin like Khabib jumps into the jumps in the first couple rows and starts fighting people even if the people he was targeting are also trained fighters as a part of McGregor's crew uh, the UFC, Dana White was beside himself last night on this, and he should be because uh, when you lose the uh, trust of the audience that they're not going to be assaulted by the trained fighters at, at an event, I mean, you lose a ton. Uh, and it's a really bad look uh, for sports in general. Um, it's a really bad look for the UFC. And, you know, I think Khabib's kind of lucky to not be in jail this morning, to be completely frank with you. I mean, it was... You you cannot endanger public safety. I know that Conor McGregor is a douche most of the time, and that he you know has this mean streak to him, and he talks a bunch of smack. But you you know the the moment when you know it, it breaks out, Brandon, from you know a fight inside of a, of the octagon to something that goes into the crowd, and you know imagine if Matt Damon sitting front row had got knocked out by you know one of the goons associated with this fight. I mean, it just would have been a mess. Uh, so you just can't have it. You can't have it either way. The fans need to stay in, you know, outside of the ring, and the the fighters need to stay inside. He just called Khabib a goon. He's probably going to come after your ass now, too. <laughs> hey, more, more than welcome as long as we're inside of the ring. Oh, oh wait, God. so now you're a world-class fighter as well? <laughs> you know me. that was a challenge. <laughs> oh, Anyways, uh interesting to say the least at at underscore four rm underscore hre says objectively speaking if callum hudson odoi was someone you know personally what advice would you give him considering the reason he isn't playing is because of victor moses of all people i just don't believe average players should block pathways to the first team so to to just break this down uh we are objectively speaking about callum hudson odoi and then subjectively speaking about Victor Moses. like, or, yeah. So we accept that and then move on? This is tough, man. Uh, I, I will chime in first. I think Callum Hudson-Odoi knows kind of the, the battle he's up against. And not and, and that battle isn't with Victor Moses, by the way, um, who, uh, uh, you know, who I think is, is, is a good Premier League player. But, you know, Callum has a, a much higher ceiling. I think Callum knows that probably the barrier to him playing is, is signing a new deal. And it doesn't seem as if there's been any progress on that uh, at all. And frankly, I'm not telling him that's the wrong thing to do. Maybe he's going to not sign a contract and go somewhere else and, and be guaranteed game time. But 
Um, it, it seems as if, at least from the outside, and I, I could be completely talking out of my ass here, but that you know, if he signed a new deal, maybe he would have a better chance to play or, or get loaned out this year to go play. So I don't know, Mike, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> we don't have to be objective, being that we, you know, we're all best friends with Callum and uh, have his personal phone number, right? It's uh, besties five five five. Uh, no, um, I think this is a tough one because uh, I think unlike players in the past, we're looking at you know Callum Hudson Adoy and we're looking at Mason Mount, and I think we're worrying about you know how they're going to get into the you know the top eleven or the starting 11s. and to me. I think a lot of that responsibility is, you know, if I was his friend and I was talking about personal advice, I mean, come on, don't let Victor Moses be an obstacle to you starting for Chelsea or getting on the pitch. I think you just have to outwork him and do everything possible in, you know, on the, on the training ground. Um, so I, as somebody who, you know, played soccer and an old, you know, long ago, um, I just I think you have full responsibility as to whether you're playing or not, and I think that starts with with Callum, and it starts at training. And I think that uh, if he really wants to be a world class player, then he needs to show sorry first. At Jeff Boston saying, "How hopeful are you that Murata will?" In parentheses, maybe da da da, possibly da da da. Please, and parentheses, close, <laughs> start scoring on a regular basis, and Jeff. Uh, any prediction on that XG plot from Rata? Is that trending upwards, staying flat, or going down? Well, well I actually t- I tweeted this today, and like it seems like when he when he's going one on one with the keeper, or when he's got the ball and it's a turn, that's where he runs into trouble and, and gets it not on target or or loses it or falls down or whatever. When he just has to pounce on the ball, one touch in the net, that's where he's he seems to be successful right now and. And a couple people, you know, responded saying that's that's not the case, and and he's te- technically he's sound, and this and that is just a bad run of form. But like to me, it's just confidence was clearly an issue for him for most of this calendar year, and I think even we've seen this season, you know, he again he's still running into trouble when he has to think about it and has to overthink about it and and change and adjust. And we saw today. You know, he doesn't. He just had a pounce on the ball, chip it, goal, and it seems like that's right now. That's where he's getting his confidence from. Is where he doesn't have to think about it. And you know, I, I don't know if if you know a goal here and a goal uh, during the week, maybe that brings his confidence back, and he'll start he'll start you know being more effective um, and hold the play and things like that, and getting shots on target through defenders um, and just having a, a more well rounded game. I, I just. You know, I hope that it's it's just a confidence thing and, and that's that. But right now, I mean, if, if Hazard can continue to set him up for, for one-touch finishes, then uh, it won't be an issue. Just got to knock him down. When, when they set you up, Nick, you just tap it, tap, tap. <laughs> Go to your home. <laughs> Go to your pack. home. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I, to be fair, with Murata, we talked about this last season a lot. Um He's a he's a confidence guy. He's an emotional guy. It, he looks these last two games did him a world of good. Uh, he just tweeted today that he's excited uh, that he just got one to help the team. You know, he kept it simple, right? It doesn't need to be the seventy million dollar striker. He doesn't need to be a world record setter. He just needs to go out and and keep it simple. And I think it got complicated for him last year. 
Uh, he had some injuries, uh, didn't go to the World Cup, probably, you know, was a lot on his plate. And so it, it seems like these last two games, he's tried to keep it really, really simple. Uh, also, credit to him on making the runs, very smart runs across defenders into space. Uh, he wasn't even really getting himself in those positions before. So I think that, um, you know, he, he's taking it slowly. He's looking to progress and build up. And if he can continue to do that and not get, you know, consumed with wearing the number nine or consumed with who's starting him or Giroux and just focus on taking the chances when they're given to him, uh, I, I, you know, I think that in that sense, he, he's always got a chance, Jeff Boston. So, um, you know, look, we all want him to, to be great and, um, you know, come alive and be a great defender. Um, last one from Twitter at Daniel James Ainge saying, is Rudiger the best center back in the Premier League? I think he just edges out Van Dyke. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have a center back on the podcast to ask. So, yep. If only we did. <laughs> the answer is yes. Yes, he is the best. You're super biased. You're center back and German. Yeah, well, at World Cup winner Antonio Rudiger. Let's keep Ooh. that. Let's keep that straight too. Are you sure that he's better than Chris Smalling? Because I'm just not not a hundred percent sure. <laughs> Wait, with dreads or without dreads, Chris Smalling? I don't know what he has going on. He has kind of the shaved sides with the. I don't know. I'm not a hair expert though. So if if Rudiger was so good, why why isn't he have Phil Jones's spot on the English national team? That's what I want to know. Truth. All right, good. I just want to confirm that as we, you know, look to kind of wrap up these questions. Uh, moving to Instagram, um, we have one from uh, Risku underscore zero. I thought this is really interesting question. Um, Nick has has Sari given Alonzo restrictions on his attacking? Um, that is interesting. I mean, I'm just trying to cycle through my my match kind of reviews in my, in my last couple of weeks here. Um, I mean, obviously he was under attack against Liverpool, but he, I mean, I guess even before and after that, we almost like we're missing the marauding runs. He used to be inside the six every single game multiple times. And it's just not that same level. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's just a different defensive setup. I mean, I think you even saw Dave get a little bit further forward today and, and at times than, uh, maybe Alonzo did. So it's kind of an interesting, interesting take there, Mike. Yeah, I, I would have to say probably the answer is yes. Uh, we saw Dave um, hold back, I think it was two or three matches ago. I, I didn't see him really cross the midfield line until like the 70th plus minute. So I, I think there's definitely some kind of tactics where we're either kind of you know, pushing to one side or the other. It's just slotting back and forth. Um, so I, I have to think that if, I mean, Alonzo's a striker at heart, and if he's not in the box then he's probably there or not there because sorry told him not to be. Uh, I mean, Jeff, I guess to me, Alonzo started off on fire with all those goals and assists, but everyone complained about his defensive lack of responsibility or, you know, he just wasn't as bothered with it. I think we've definitely seen a renewed focus on it. And maybe it's even temporary. Like, like Reed says like, Hey, focus on this for the next three, four matches. Let's get it locked down, and then we can find that happy medium of you marauding forward, but then also being, you know, a, a more well-rounded defender. I mean, maybe right again, just throwing out hypotheticals. I also, I, I think it might be also a little bit matchup dependent. Um, you know, obviously against Liverpool, he's going against Mo Salah, and he's gonna he he can't make those marauding runs. It's just it, we're going to be too exposed at the back, and and against Southampton, obviously Cedric likes to get forward uh, as a right back. So I, I think it's it's part of it's that, and uh, I'm you know. 
if if when we play United, I mean, I guess he's going to have to track back also. Um, but, you know, I do think part of it is, is just who we were going against. And I think a lot of it is, you know, people expected Sarri to just bring over the exact replica of what he did at Napoli, where he had left backs were, you know, marauding forward, right back had to stay back. You know, I don't think it's that simple. I think that he, that Sarri sees things, uh, you know, differently than we do. And I think that, you know, maybe he's he's alternating. Obviously, like you said, Aspie went forward today. Um, so I do think he's, you know, just maybe still trying a couple things out. And and I, I don't think that, that Chelsea 2018-19 has to be the same as Napoli 2017-18. Uh, Great point. Yes, they do. You don't understand. <laughs> that was in the contract. Mauricio Sarri no had a guarantee. Had a, yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, last one at uh, underscore Mohawk Mathur underscore saying, do you think Chelsea can win the Europa as well as the EPL this year? All right, my man. I think that Chelsea can win the Europa League. Chelsea can also win the Premier League. I do not think Chelsea will win both. I think that uh, if if uh, both competitions are going well towards the end of the season, Maurizio has even said that the Premier League is the absolute target, number one priority overall. And I also think that Maurizio would far uh, more relish the joy of winning a league title, especially after coming so close last season, uh, than the Europa League because um, they have to get top four. Chelsea are a club that should be in the Champions League. Uh, they will be in the Champions League, and that is how um, you know. I, th- I think that Maurizio and the club look at it. So, uh, does anyone disagree or have any other comments on that? Nope. No. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this up uh, with a little top four watch, uh, making sure we keep an eye on our rivals since it is an international break next week. Uh, but before that, Nick, we do want to remind all, all of our loyal, lovely listeners about our promotional code at World Soccer mm-hmm. Shop. Indeed. Uh, we may even have an unboxing video coming soon, right, Brandon? Hmm? Shots taken. Yep. Um, so look for that on YouTube uh, in the coming week or so, kind of, maybe, most likely. Uh, go to World Soccer Shop, use our code LONDONPOD for 10% off of your order. So think about shipping, think about uh, customization, whatever you would use that uh, 10% off for. Uh, I will hopefully be having a a yellow Aspie kit coming soon. So that'll be really exciting for your boy over here. Uh, But yeah, just really, really pumped about it. They're they're still continuing to be great partners to us. And um, yeah, just just wanted to call out the 10% off, Brandon. That's it. All right. Well, real quick, uh, we do a segment on international breaks called the Top 4 Watch. Essentially, there's no match to preview. So we want to just break down the top four and where we're at because, as I just mentioned, it's all that matters this season. So Man City in first on goal difference, Chelsea in second, Liverpool in third, Arsenal in fourth. Uh, Arsenal, the team on form with five wins out of the last five. Liverpool have three wins and then two draws most recently. Chelsea on two wins, two draws and a win. And City on four wins and a draw most recently to Liverpool, obviously. Uh, Man City have, for the most part, been in the the driver's seat most of this season. Um, you know, Liverpool have uh, actually technically been in first more days so far this season, and Arsenal have literally turned around a car crash and <laughs> are now fighting for the top four. So, uh, obviously, City drawing Liverpool after a late penalty miss by Riyad Mahrez. Uh, Arsenal are quietly sneaking into the top four at Spurs' expense. Uh, actually, Arsenal haven't lost since they lost to us on August 18th, so 
there's that. Uh, Liverpool don't seem to be off to as great of a start as everyone predicted, and goal difference is looking like it's going to be the most important this season. And then special mentions I have are Bournemouth still in sixth place, Wolves in seventh, United up to eighth, but very unconvincing. Let's hope they don't sack Mourinho before we play them October 20th. So, Jeff, uh, with all of those kind of shout-outs of the different teams, is there anyone that you kind of want to talk to specifically of the top four teams? Well, it's just after after watching the City-Liverpool game, it's, it, you know, at this point in the season, I did not expect Chelsea to even, you know, hold a candle to one of those two. And obviously, you know, you know, we beat Liverpool once and, and drew, you know, drew, drew 1-1. But just watching today, you know, it was a fairly boring game for 80 minutes um you know used to watch them but you know last even last season when those two played it was like oh my god they're playing such beautiful football I wish Chelsea could play that way you know they're 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 on a different level than Chelsea and that's just not the case you know Chelsea play you know just as attractive football as them they have the possession they have the passing so I just it to me it's just in general it's just surprising um you know how quickly Chelsea has come along in, in such a short amount of time but Quickly on Arsenal, and they obviously are scoring a ton, but I was looking at the the expected goals numbers um, earlier, and even though they've scored, I think it's 18 or 19 in the league, their expected goals are 10 or 10.4. Like, they scored five goals against Fulham, their expected goals were 1.4. So I think at some point that's going to come back, you know, it's going to have some some negative regression, and hopefully they'll fall back to the pack a little bit and, and maybe give the top three a little bit of breathing room. So... I do think despite the points and despite Arsenal's recent run of form, I still think there's a pretty sizable gap between the top three and everybody else. Mike, what about that top four picture that I painted so eloquently? Do you want to touch on? Yeah, um, I think where we were all thinking we would be at the beginning of the season and having to wait, we're, we're a contender. Now, will we finish, you know, will we, will we win the league? I don't know, but we definitely belong in the top four and I think that should be something very reassuring for all of us especially with you know some of the the tweaks and the fixes that can be easily done um you know and if you're looking up at the stars tonight and you see something shoot across the sky it's not a star it's uh Mahrez's penalty kick oh god yikes um, yeah yeah it, I don't was, know how it he was brutal by the way, Gab- Gabriel Jesus', Jesus is, uh, his facial expression after Mares came and took the penalty off of him—that was classic. <laughs> he looked—he looked around like, "What? What is happening? This is not going to go well." And obviously, he was right. I just when they showed the slow motion of his facial expression, I was like, "Ah, oh, that's perfect." Yeah, Aguero had some choice words on the bench as well. Well, yeah, I w- duh. Go ahead. No, that's it. That's really all I had to say. Duh, <laughs> duh. Well said. Um, <laughs> Yeah, look, I don't know how good we are yet. You know, I think we we on this show are mostly just trying to uh, react in real time to how the team is progressing. You know, I don't I don't think, you know, even in our in our biggest dreams, I think Dan was the most aggressive in our preseason predictions to have Chelsea finish second. So that's where we're at. But uh, I, I think we're all just we're. The, the amount of patience that we're trying to exercise on this show is, is just to say, give it some time. You know, the, the best football that Chelsea will play this season is yet to come. And, you know, I'm, I'm just excited to see the evolution. You know, it's, it's happening a little quicker than I thought it would. And I think that, you know, even if we're fourth or fifth at one point in the season, that this team always has a chance to come back, especially with the positive goal differential and, and, you know, be in the top four. So just really excited to see, you know, how this gets cooked up. All right. Well, it's going to be fun. I can promise you that. Uh, let's just hope that 
nothing derails the season and and you know sorry just keeps on pushing the team forward but uh, you know it's a fun it's fun right like the Premier League is competitive this, this season it's close uh there's a lot of goals being scored like we said you know if you look at the table uh the fact that um let's see you know City have 18 uh they've scored 21 Chelsea have scored 18 Liverpool 15 Arsenal 19 Spurs 15 Bournemouth 16 uh and then you have United, Watford, Leicester, Everton, and Burnley all in double digits gold scored. It's this is what we want. Uh, you know, Wolves have been a, a, a big surprise in the in the league this season, uh, and that's what I think is best about it. And that the fact that Chelsea are considered to be one of the most entertaining teams out of that bunch. Um, you know, this is kind of our best self, right? This is us living the dream as Chelsea fans. So. I think we should just keep it going, keep the dream alive, and and just soak up every single moment that we can. Uh, so with that being said, I think we're going to wrap up this one. Uh, again, Jeff, sir, thank you for pulling the double duty. Appreciate it. I really enjoyed it, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Nick, Mike, also appreciate you and everything you do for the cause. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're chopped liver. We get it. We love That's you, Brandon. <laughs> yeah. Hey, don't say it to me. Say it to the listeners. They they can hear you. Uh, all right. We love you guys too. <laughs> all right. Anyways, uh, hope you enjoyed this part. Again, if you want to get involved, uh, send in your social media questions after every single match or via email. Best way to get on is through Patreon. So that's gonna wrap it up this week, Chelsea fans. So sorry we have an international break coming your way, but hopefully we can come up with some special content to fill the void. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.